Okay, welcome to episode three of Mediatations. Um, so I decided to theme this episode around online dating slash romance in the age of the internet. Um, yeah, I think we're starting to see a theme with what um, all the episodes are about. Um, I guess first I thought I'd do a little catch up, a little recap on me, uh, just because I don't know who I'm supposed to tell this stuff to anymore. Um, but this week, I think I fell down a flight of stairs three times total. <laughs> um, so if you saw someone cleaning up matcha uh, in the stacks, that was me. The matcha was for Omar. It was a gift. Um, his order is a coconut matcha. Okay, uh, second time I fell down the stairs was after, uh, it was after Women in Media. I just like toppled over. Um, so again, if you saw that in, I think I was in Baker, yeah. And then just every morning, whenever I'm leaving the phase, I don't know why going down a flight of stairs has been such a struggle this week. Um, but yeah, that's my little story on, I don't know, I don't, I have the motor skills of a toddler. Um, so just thought I'd share that with the internet today or with the radio. Okay, yeah, just that's a little icebreaker. Uh, so the theme for the episode, online dating, should you do it? Should you not? Um, I had a few, I guess, like questions that I asked myself, um, especially because my writing five is about, you know, the internet. Um, the first question was, are post-millennials more sexually liberated? I feel like the consensus is yes, right? Like you see body positivity movements, you see, um, I guess, people be talking more openly about their sexuality, especially like variants from like what is considered conventional, right? It's more widely accepted, or at least we'd like to think that it is. Um, so, you know, there, there's that factor. There's also like this sudden embrace of hookup culture that like, you're not a feminist if you're not sleeping with seven guys a week or something, you know, no one who's actually a feminist would say that, but there is definitely like, I guess this idea of it, um, you'll see it on like Tinder bios, like guys will uh, mention the podcast, Call Her Daddy, which is like a podcast centered around like women's sexuality and like casual hookups. And so in referencing it in their bio, they're kind of encouraging that sort of person to like message them, um, which again, like goes to further hookup culture. Um, and you know, that that's a question in and of itself, what hookup culture says about post-millennials and if its impacts will ultimately be to the benefit or the detriment of like sexual liberation. Um, but I think whenever people have that conversation about sexual liberations for post-millennials, a lot of people tend to ignore the context in which people grew up, right? And so um, uh, the whole theme of this uh, radio show is that you are the media that you consume. And so I think in order to understand a post-millennials frame of mind, you have to like consider what was the popular media at the time? What were they consuming as children? And so the three biggest shows that I feel shaped at least my personal view on like sexuality are probably Gossip Girl. <laughs> Glee, and Two and a Half Men. I feel like those were really popular, pretty easy to access, and I think anyone upwards of like third grade was watching this stuff, especially if like me, they did not have cable. Um, but anyways, the whole, the whole premise of Gossip Girl is like, 
I think when it starts, they're either 14 or 15. And like Serena Vanderwoodson sleeps with Blair Waldorf's like crush. And then she like goes away to boarding school and then she comes back and they rekindle the friendship. And like, I don't know, the, the whole show, especially like Blair's character, there was a great deal of slut shaming, right? And so Blair calls Serena a slut uh, multiple times. And even with like Jenny, when she's coming of age and she starts to like date upperclassmen, like, Maybe it was, like, more prominent in the books. Yes, I read the books. Um, but there is definitely, like, that fear or, like, the idea that, like, Jenny's a slut and it sort of, like, reprimands her for being, like, sexually liberal and, like, sleeping around. And so there's definitely, like, a negative air around sexual liberation, especially for women on that show. Um, so, you know, there's Gossip Girl, and that's the kind of media that post-millennials were consuming. And then you've also got Glee. I guess whenever I think about sexual liberation on Glee, I think about, uh, oh my gosh, is it? It's Santana and Brittany. They're two cheerleaders. Um, I remember vividly, like the first time I ever heard about sexting, I must have been like nine years old. I was watching an episode of Glee, and it's an episode where like Santana's calling Quinn a prude for not. Uh, for not sexting um, and she's sort of telling her that like she's gonna lose Finn if she doesn't do it. Um, and sort of like Santana's supposed to be like this mature, like sexually active sort of canon type. And then Quinn Fabray is supposed to be like, you know, she leads like the, the abstinence, like celibacy club kind of deal. Uh, she's a cheerleader. She's very like all American good girl. And I guess you could argue that Glee goes to like subvert expectations because ultimately it's like uh Quinn Fabray you know the all-american good girl that ends up uh having to deal with like a teen pregnancy and then the like I don't know sexy cheerleader Santana ends up like not even being attracted to men right so um it kind of subverted in that way but also Glee still like utilizes like dichotomy of like good v bad girl kind of deal right and so if you're a young viewer like me nine years old you sort of like internalize that like moral attribution to like what you do sexually sort of like defines what kind of moral character you are right and so little girls are supposed to want to be Quinn Fabray at least until she gets pregnant um and then the other example was two and a half men I think I could actually be wrong on this one. I feel like it might be a mixed review on what Two and a Half Men says about sexual liberation. But at least in my view, okay, you have Charlie. He's supposed to be like this bachelor. He lives in a beach house. He's like maybe 40-something, maybe late 30s, at least in the beginning of the show. Um, and he sleeps around a lot. He like, I think most episodes, honestly, someone find a statistic on this, but I feel like most episodes opened with him having a hookup. Um, and so basically, yeah, he, he just sleeps around a lot. And like, that's his whole, I guess, like personality. He has like this little black book and it's like an immensely large black book with like all of these girls, different numbers and whatever. And usually the, the women that he tends to sleep with are like your bimbo trope, right? Like, they're just eye candy and usually they don't have a backstory. You know, if anything, I remember them being like dumb on several occasions. Like, I don't, oh, maybe I'm mixing it up with Big Bang Theory. But um, 
there's one no no no. I'm pretty sure it's two and a half men but there's um one woman that like Charlie sleeps with and she has like a very like childlike voice and then whenever she's sleeping she has a nightmare that she's running from a rabbit and so she like runs as she's sleeping I don't know I just very vivid memory of that and also I remember at that young age thinking that it was weird that uh this person that Charlie was sleeping with was supposed to be like very childlike and that was supposed to contribute to her hotness for some reason you know that's an entire issue on its own um but anyways yeah like I what I took away from the show at least is that Charlie's supposed to be this cautionary tale and so um he lives alone he almost like I think the lady that he ends up being with long term is named Chelsea but like he almost messes that up too and so it's like a cautionary tale. Like if you sleep around, you'll end up like Charlie and you don't want to end up like Charlie. And on the other hand, you have Alan, which is Charlie's older or younger brother. I really don't know. Um, but he's Charlie's brother and he gets married from an early age. He has a son named Jake, ergo the name two and a half men. Um, okay. Yeah. He gives, uh, he gets married and then the show follows him as he moves back in with his brother after they get divorced. And um, his whole thing is like, he's supposed to be like a wimp, I guess. Like he doesn't know how to approach women. He doesn't sleep a lot. Like he doesn't have sex a lot is what I'm trying to say. Um, and like his wife sort of like pushes him around and like emasculates him at every corner. And so in the same way that like Charlie's supposed to be this cautionary tale, Alan also serves as this cautionary tale of like being a wimp or whatever, right? Um, anyways, the, the takeaway from the show, the message that like people, I guess, ultimately get is that, again, there is this morality associated with your sexual activity. Um, you can either be like a wimp like Alan, or you can be, I guess, like this superficial guy who sleeps around a lot but both of them aren't good and like in a way you could argue that's beneficial because it like provides a middle ground but also I don't know I think it's weird whenever you try to like attribute some moral some degree of morality at least to you know sexual activity so anyways yeah that's that's context for the kind of messages that like post-millennials were internalizing as they were growing up and that's the kind of message that they were receiving as far as like what should we think about sex um and I guess my takeaway is kind of like your own beliefs on sexual liberation can become a cage of your own design right so in a way you can be scared to be vulnerable with someone and not like physically like naked sexy time vulnerable but like vulnerable in the sense that you don't want someone to get to know you you don't want them to know I don't know your greatest ambitions or uh, something embarrassing that's happened to you in your life right you want to like keep internalize and keep it all to yourself and ultimately your every interaction with like um, you know the person you desire it ends up being superficial I mean there is also the other vein that like like some people unnamed maybe me, um, that you just like ultimately attach way too much value to any, like, I guess, 
uh, sexual interaction. So like you think that this person has to be your one and it's supposed to be some movie moment and you're going to get a meet cue and you can't do anything with anyone unless you like love them. And that in itself can be a cage of its own design, right? Because you end up being repressed. You end up again attributing this like moral distinction to sexual activity. You say this is right and this is wrong. And you're not really thinking about, I guess, like objective standards, like whether you physically need an outlet. You're just thinking of like, like you're letting your mind design a cage around your own sexuality, which like is bad because you're internalizing things just as much as like the first scenario is right where they like internalize everything that's personal to them but in this opposite scenario you internalize i guess like your physical urges and you know that can be problematic in a lot of senses um and then i think this is like a funny it's not an argument necessarily it's just a thought that i always have whenever i talk about this with people and it's just like this silly little thought that like our brains aren't evolved for this, right? We don't have the capacity to understand all of the potential partners we find on like uh, dating apps, right? Or like arguably hookup apps in the case of Tinder, right? So like never in the history of humanity has like a caveman been able to pick up some sort of device and like it'll show him all the potential sexual partners that he can have at this moment right like that's that's just not natural it's just something that you know we created and um i forget what the rule is but it's like that it's something to the power of something and that's how like fast technology advances and it's undeniable that like Human evolution just cannot keep pace with that. And so the technology that we use today, our little rat brains aren't evolved to use it. And so you could argue that like it's bad to use um, hookup and like dating apps because like your little itty bitty brain isn't evolved to do it. However, there was one day where I was talking about this with a girl. I think she may or may not have been um, intoxicated. Uh, but anyways, she says something, I, so I'm telling her this, and then she says, yeah, but humans do things every day that they're not evolved to do. Like, our bodies aren't evolved to, I don't know, drive a car or like, you know, whatever, just like a ton of things that people do. Like, I don't know, take the stock market, for example, like our little rat brains didn't evolve to do this. Um, so anyways, yeah, that's the point, right? But like, all of these things that we're not evolved to do are necessary to lead a functional life. And so it doesn't make sense to like suddenly pose that like barrier to entry, like, oh, we can't have hookup apps because we're not evolved to do it. Because the reality is that we're not evolved to do a lot of things and we do them regardless. And even the things that we're not evolved to do, you could say are beneficial to us. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say like writing, but maybe we are evolved for that. Um, so anyways, yeah, here's uh, my verdict on our post-millennials more sexually liberated. Um, my verdict is we're just as repressed. It's the iron cage. I think the only difference now is, is that you get to choose which cage you live in. And so you can confine yourself to superficial like purely physical relationships, or you can confine yourself to, uh, I guess, like rep repressed physical urges that you never act on, right? And so 
both of those are cages. And so, yeah, I would argue that we're not any more sexually liberated. And I would say that the reason that we're not any more sexually liberated is because we for too long, especially like the way that you're raised and like the media you consume when you're a young child, it really does define your outlook. And so if we consumed media that like attributed morality to sexuality, then it makes sense that like we grow up into adults who attribute the same degree of morality to every sexual interaction that we have. So yeah, that is my verdict. And I am the authority on this. So there's that. Um, okay, so the next question that I had was, does online dating facilitate legitimate romance? Okay, very like arbitrary question. What is legitimate romance? Whatever. Um, the short answer, it can, in my opinion, in my opinion. Uh, but the longer answer is it probably doesn't a majority of the time. Um, and I think that has to do with the person's motivation for making a profile, right? And so like, if you post, I guess, like, just provocative pictures on your profile, and maybe it's like, oh, 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 the infamous Tinder bio, what is it? Uh, here for a good time, not a long time, right? Like, you're being very transparent about what your intentions are with making a profile. You wanna sleep around and that's okay. Um, or I don't know if it's okay. I don't know. Be safe. I have no opinions. Um, but anyways, yeah, like, obviously, if you make a profile with that intention, then you aren't trying to facilitate legitimate romance. Um, I don't know. I think, okay, I'm, I'm also, like, in my own version of the iron cage. And I guess my hesitations with that are that if you make a profile with such like a transparent intention of like sleeping around, then what's the difference between like Tinder and like Uber Eats, right? Because like they're both sort of a utility. Um, you get some sort of function out of it. Um, you know, I order pizza, I get pizza. I order a man to show up at my dorm and he does that. Like that's a human being with like thoughts and memories and ambitions and hopes and dreams, whatever. Um, so I don't I feel like the idea of people getting the same function out of like Uber Eats and Tinder kind of just makes me feel lonely because it's like, oh, no, where is the future of like romance headed? Uh, but again, I'm a victim of my own cage of my own doing. So I that could totally be like just not a legitimate concern. Um, oh yeah, and then, okay, besides the very like transparent, I wanna sleep around profile, there's also like, I guess a more genuine quote unquote profile that's like, um, you know, so-and-so pictures of you, maybe like a clever uh, pickup line, but like one that's not explicitly sexual, maybe like a funny one or a cute one, I don't know. Um, and some of those profiles, I guess you could say, like, uh, I put a poll on my story for like people to send responses about their thoughts on, um, on online dating and just like romance in the age of the internet. And a lot of responses, uh, actually mention like validation from swipes on these, uh, on online dating apps, I guess. And I feel like that's fair. Like, I don't know. Um, 
last week we talked about how like when you post on social media it's sort of like a gamble right so you never know what'll come of your post and in the same sense when you make a profile on an online dating app you're sort of you sort of are taking a gamble you know you're taking a leap of faith um and so when you take that gamble and like you receive a ton of matches like that can be incredibly validating because it's like ooh i am a good potential partner for like a lot of people um and so it makes sense that like people feel this degree of validation but then you have to ask how healthy is that right so um you could argue that like oh well just getting a ton of matches is like a I guess something pleasurable for like a brief moment, you know, it's like a little, you know, you did good. It's a gold star sticker or whatever. But I guess the flip side to that is that it can condition you to have an appetite for that validation, right? And so say you even are in like a happy, fulfilling relationship and everything is going great, but you've been conditioned to have that appetite for validation. And it it just is a different type of validation. Like the validation that like your partner can give you doesn't compare to like the superficial, like more, I guess like carnal validation <laughs> that you can get from seeing like 30 matches or something, right? And so you could say that like online dating is like um, a sort of like a rat or a maze of itself, right? And it just ultimately, le- it goes in a circle. There is no end to it, right? Because when you do find the person that you're looking for, when you are in a fulfilling relationship, you've already been conditioned to have that appetite for validation. And ultimately it's an appetite that your partner can never satiate. And maybe your partner is also like a victim of that. And so you just end up going in endless circles and like ultimately returning to the dating app, which you know, you could say is planned by the app, right? Because obviously they benefit from having more users. Um, So yeah, that's just, I guess, a thought on people's motivation. Um, Something that I wrote was I said, you could say Tinder is the ultimate Skinner box. I have talked about Skinner so much, I need to stop. Um, I just like talking about rats. But yeah, essentially, the little rat pushes a lever the little human swipes on Tinder and there is the gamble. There is the possibility of getting a reward. There is the possibility of, I guess, a hookup or a date, like a legitimate date, if that's your intention. And so, yeah, my thesis is that Tinder is the ultimate Skinner box. Uh, Okay, what else did I write? Yeah, I wrote making a profile is a gamble, but not in a traditional sense. Oh, I guess I was making this comparison that like, you know, when you're when you're taking a gamble, like you're sort of elated. You don't know what's going to happen next. It's like uh, the possibilities are endless. And I guess people could say that that is the feeling that you get in a romantic sense um, when you're taking a leap of faith. But my issue with that comparison is just that when you take a leap of faith, like in a traditional, conventional, monogamous uh, sense or like romantic sense, you are taking a leap of faith relying on one person. So you're sort of trusting this person to be who you think they are. You're trusting this person to, uh, I don't know, like have a good time with this person and that this person is going to mean a lot to you, right? And so it's a gamble on one person, you know, the per- or your partner. Whereas 
when you take a gamble now, especially on online dating, it's more of a gamble about yourself. It's a question of what kind of people can I match with? What kind of um, demographic am I hot for or whatever, right? And so it's a gamble on your own validation and your own self-worth. And like, obviously, these two types of gambles, there's a lot of distinctions. And I I think it's fair to say that like one of these is healthy and one of these is unhealthy. Well, no, actually extremists. You can end up taking a leap of faith on someone very early on and you can have like these unattainable expectations for someone. And obviously that's not fair to do to people. So that's a lie. Both of them are cages of their own design. Nuance, baby. Um, okay, yeah, what else did I write? Oh, I was going to talk about oh okay I have one really exciting point well I thought it was exciting but before that also related to the gamble this isn't the exciting point um it was it was just that with online dating there are explicit winners and losers um I don't know it's just you could consider that like a winner is someone who goes out on lots of dates has lots of hookups whatever and then losers are people whose profile are I guess, like, less uh, active. And I don't know, I feel like in a traditional romantic setting, there aren't explicit winners and losers. Maybe it's more, like, implied, but there just is no way of knowing. I don't know. Uh, Okay, so this is the exciting point. It was that Tinder is very, like, I guess maybe opaque is the word. They just, like, don't share their algorithms. I mean, like, no social media platform does, but they are, like, very, like, secretive and, like, elusive about what kind of algorithms they use. But, like, bluntly said, if you think that the people on your Tinder queue are not attractive, I have really, really bad news for you, bud. (laughs) Um, So presumably, right, none of this is confirmed, but presumably the way that, like, not just Tinder, honestly, Bumble too, and like online dating apps and the like, the way that they operate is like an algorithm that sort of tracks how long people spend on your profile slash what pictures they like, I don't know, stay on the most and what kinds of people um, swipe right or swipe left on you, right? And so basically, Tinder will tell you what you are. Like, you know um, how people give, like, ratings, like, you're a 1, you're a 10, you're a 9, whatever. Tinder essentially gives you a rating and then puts you in a class of people who are of a similar rating, which goes back to the idea that if you think that the people on your Tinder queue are not hot, I have horrendous news for you, bud, and I think it's that Tinder thinks you're not hot. However, I was talking with a friend about this, and I will say that the exception is if you live in freaking New Hampshire there's no one around so if the people on your tinder queue aren't cute I promise you ladies you're cute I don't know okay men we'll let them in um but yeah I was just gonna say also having a limited selection contributes to this I think if you wanted to like track this phenomenon you'd have to like go to a bigger city or something um yeah so it's algorithms Ooh, and then there's also like this other theory that like uh, the first person that you see on your queue is meant to be someone who's like unattainably attractive. So like someone who's like, I guess what the Tinder algorithm would consider a 10. 
and it's meant to sort of like fire off some dopamine maybe I don't know like when you see an attractive person you're like enticed and you're attracted and you're excited and so you'll swipe right on that person obviously and then the next person that you see on your queue is supposed to be the most attractive person that also swiped right on you so the second person is supposed to be like a surefire like this person swiped right on you and the intention behind that is like tinder wants to like lure you in like look we have hot people are on our app and then the second person is supposed to be like what seals the deal and so it's like okay cute people will like you if you're on this app too and then everything after that is supposed to be like the people who are on your plane of attractiveness um but also all of this is just like presumed you know like i said tinder is very like opaque and like elusive about its algorithms and so it's not sharing that with people so this is honestly just what conspiracy theorists like i believe on the internet um okay yeah first is bait uh oh yeah and i was just gonna like say like obvious uh thoughts about apps right so like they're online dating apps they want to have users something that we've talked about in my writing five class is that a network or like a a platform is only as useful as uh like its utility is directly correlated to its number of users i think someone mentioned in class yesterday that they try to use um the bing like search engine yeah who remembers bing um and she just talked about how like useless it was compared to Google, right? And that's obviously because Google has more data to track. Google has uh, more users, whereas like Bing does not. And therefore it's like utility is kind of obsolete, is obsolete who uses Bing. Um, but anyways, yeah, that, that's the point. Or like, uh, if you ever think about like quitting Instagram or trying something new, I feel like most people's hesitation is always um, the, your friends are on Instagram, your family's on Instagram, maybe, if your mom's got an account. Um, and so that's why people don't leave, because whatever, like, people that they rely on are on those apps. And online dating apps sort of also benefit from the networking effect, because if they have so many users on it, then, you know, you're more likely to go towards it. Like, for example, my personal preference for online dating apps is probably Bumble, just because I don't have to worry about men sending me unprovoked, explicit pictures. And I like that about Bumble, because if I get a gross picture, then it was my own fault, and I shouldn't have matched with that man. Um, so anyways, point is, yeah, that's my like personal preference. However, um, when I came to Dartmouth, there was like, literally, two men on Bumble and that was it. Nobody uses Bumble here. Um, everyone uses Tinder and like I have pretty strong feelings about Tinder. I do think it's like one of the more superficial dating apps, right? And so um, it was the networking effect. I had to resort to Tinder. It's not because I wanted to be there. It's because people were there and you know, that's what you, you do what you do. Anyways, that all ties back to the idea that like apps want to garner as many users as possible and they also don't have an incentive to foster legitimate romance so like if your online dating app works and two people find each other and presumably they're going to enter a monogamous relationship they're gonna delete their profiles 
and you've just lost users, like thereby like eroding your capital as like an online platform. And you don't want that, which goes back to like the idea that online dating apps want to, I guess, instill people with an appetite for validation. That way you keep coming back and they're able to retain their users. And then they're able to like, I guess, launch their claws onto like other demographics and get them to also use their apps. So I don't know, it's, it's kind of a dark way to look at online dating apps. But also, I think the way that like online dating initially started, you know what, that would have been such a good episode had I done some history on it. Oopsies. Um, but okay, my recollection, the first time I ever heard about online dating, I was in second or third grade. Um, I went to a sleepover at my friend Malia's house. And we were at dinner and her parents were talking about or it was her dad and then her stepmom. And they were talking about how they met. And they actually met online. So that was like the first online couple that I've ever met. They got married in 2007. Yeah, I know that because I was five. But anyways, point is, they got married. Yeah. And they met on OkCupid. I don't think I've heard of anyone else using OkCupid. I've definitely heard about like Match.com. Ooh, let's see how many platforms I can name. Um, Okay, Match.com, Farmers Only, Black People Meet. um, Did I say Christian Mingle? It's definitely Christian Mingle. They should make Atheist Mingle. I feel like that'd be funny. Um, You know, when I was little, oh my God, the jingle for Farmers Only is so good. Um, Maybe I'll make a Farmers Only account. Maybe that's the next episode. Um, I tell you guys about my matches on Farmers Only. Wait, that's an episode idea. I might actually go with that. Um, But yeah, they're... Oh, oh yeah, basically where I was going with this tangent was that initially, maybe like with OkCupid and Match.com, like the the OGs, oh, wasn't there something with a Z too? Like Zeus or Zoogle? Something like that. Um, But anyways, they had like really intensive um, survey questions, right? So like, it was kind of like a bunch of short answer questions and it would ask you, what are your hopes and dreams and your ambitions and this and that. Um, And so people could really, I guess, like showcase their personality and they could showcase like what kind of person they were. And I think that might've been like a more legitimate way to fall in love because you were, I guess, like falling in love with like the content of someone's character as opposed to like, a, a slutty mirror pick that they took or something, right? Or like a shirtless picture. Um, but also, like, that's uh, not really convenient for people, right? No one wants to sit around and like take intensive survey questions um, about who they are as a person and what they're looking for romantically, especially because so many people, uh, I am also in that boat, or <laughs> just like don't know what they want, right? And so it's not really convenient to ask people to like, list all these things out whereas like tinder you can make a profile in about like four minutes maybe if you take your time choosing pictures if you don't even shorter than that um so it's just a question of like okay yeah back to the original question uh you know does online dating facilitate legitimate romance i think it 
ultimately goes back to your intention, right? So if you're the kind of person who has the patience to, I guess, fill out survey questions on something like Match.com or OkCupid, then like, yeah, you probably do, I guess, see the potential for like fostering legitimate romance. And if your intention is to make like a two second profile and then get a hookup that night, then like, no, you know, online dating probably isn't going to facilitate legitimate romance for you. Um, so, OMG, we're, we're back to the iron cage thing. It's a, it's a cage of your own design, uh, choose your own adventure kind of deal. Okay, um, so this podcast that I listen to, Binchtopia, I think everyone would be a lot more happy and satisfied in their life if they listened to it. Um, but they have this really cool segment where they call it Mailbox Moment. And uh, this week, I kind of tried to recreate that. I did like Instagram poll thing moment um, where I asked my followers uh, sort of their thoughts on online dating. So I guess I'll get into some of those. Um, so somebody talked about the illusion of infinite options. And I think, yeah, like, that, that's a fair enough analysis. Um, you see, especially, especially if you live in a big city and like, let's say you match with someone and you're already content with that person, right? You think they're attractive. You think their profile is interesting. You see yourself going on a date with that person. Why stop there? <laughs> Why not like garner this army of like Tinder matches? Um, and then you can sort of like have them tournament style fight it out for your heart, right? Not saying that I personally do this. I'm just saying, like, it makes sense um, to take that route. Um, I don't know. I feel like that's a human instinct, right? Like, we've been talking about uh, online dating apps being like a gamble, right? And so if you win one time, you want to go back another time. Um, so there is definitely the illusion of infinite options. And then also related to that is just, like, uh, what what is this phrase? I think it's like called decision paralysis. And it's basically you have so many potential options that you end up not making a decision at all. So you end up maybe not even going on a date, right? So like you could be so overwhelmed with like 30 messages from 30 potential partners that like you're exhausted you don't want to answer 30 messages much less do you want to like go out and like put in the effort to meet someone and therefore you just stay home and you continue swiping and you continue accumulating this like army of men that you'll never go on a date with not speaking from personal experience um yeah illusion of infinite options and then um, I thought this is a really good point. Someone else talked about like uh, the ratio of men to women on or yeah, male to female ratio on the on online dating apps. I think the like typical ratio, what I've heard is like for every six men on an online dating app, there is one woman. And so that kind of at least in heterosexual dynamics, like it sort of gives a weird power dynamic because you know that as a woman you have ex like so many options and you know that men's options are more limited and so that might like embolden you to I guess high have these like really high unreasonable standards so you might be like if there are six guys to choose from for like every one girl then like yeah I'm gonna try to get one of the ones that is like six feet tall and has a career and I don't know is 
wealthy. I don't, I don't know what the metrics are for like men being attractive um, or what people use as the metrics. But yeah, point is um, it can make things unnecessarily competitive for men and it can sort of be isolating. And, you know, back to that idea of online date, online dating facilitates like the idea of winners and losers. And so you could say that like women are winners in this situation and men are going to be losers just by virtue of like the sheer number of men on these apps uh, ratio to like women on these apps. And so, yeah, I think that definitely does interesting things to power dynamics. But I will also say like, I'm starting to sound a little bit like a crazy incel here. And like, that's not what I'm saying that like all women think like this, or even all men think like this. I would like to think that the majority don't, but it's just like a contributing factor, right? And so I I do think that like six to one ratios do have interesting effects on power dynamics. And I think it's probably not good. I think if you had like a closer one to two, one to one ratio, it could be like ameliorated. Um, but is that me saying more women should be on dating apps? No, I think less people should be on dating. Apps. I don't know. Do I think that? I'm conflicted, as you can see. Um, I guess, okay, blanket statement, what I would say is like more people who know what they want should be on dating apps. Because I feel like either the people who think that they want a casual hookup that's not in reality what they want or the people who think that they want some lifelong soul connection actually just want to hook up. And so I think if people could know themselves a bit better and know what they wanted, then I think we could like avoid a lot of these issues and like miscommunication and like unhappiness that happens as a result of online dating. So yeah, blanket statement, more people who know what they want need to be on these apps. And like, maybe that would fix the ratio. Who knows? And maybe that would like, ameliorate like power dynamics I guess um okay what else someone talked about the meet cute phenomenon um which is I think probably something that we all want I think especially like if you're single and looking whenever you go to the grocery store and you make eye contact with the cute cashier then like suddenly you think it's our meet cute moment right and like in a perfect world it would be unfortunately he's unfortunately he's probably like 28 and I don't know older yeah point is it's not gonna happen bud um and whenever you like enter the online sphere and you're on a dating app you sort of uh submit like you you give up the idea of a meet cute and you're like okay I'm here to meet with someone or I'm here to meet someone romantically and I guess the explicit intention of trying to meet someone romantically, it sort of takes away like that innate, like, you know, human butterfly thing, right? So like, if you meet someone on the street, you don't necessarily know that they're attracted to you. And they don't know that you're attracted to them. And so it's like that back and forth bait and switch kind of like dynamic. And a lot of people tend to be into that. Whereas like, if you meet online, then there is like the explicit hi, I think you're attractive. Hi, I also think you're attractive. And so you sort of don't get the bait and switch. You don't get the buildup. Um, and so that can really take away from like the romantic aspect of a relationship for a lot of people. And I would say maybe that's like a big hesitation um, for why maybe some women don't make online dating profiles because they don't want to deal with like the 
I, they, they don't want to give up the idea of like the meet cute idea. I think I'm also part of that. I'd like to, I don't know, not grow up and like marry someone and know that like we met via the internet or via an online dating app. Um, yeah, just a thought. Um, okay, yeah. Someone else talked about, oh, I guess like, I was a little confused about this one, but I think I get what it means. Um, it's just like the internet facilitating like lasting relationships that maybe shouldn't be as lasting as they are. So like, for example, staying friends with your ex after like the relationship ends, right? Because they're at your fingertips. And I don't know, it, it kind of relates to like this idea that I thought was pretty interesting that like, now that you have I guess Facebook, but now it's really Instagram. It's sort of like a, a directory of everyone in your life that you've ever known. And so like, if you really were bored one Saturday afternoon, you could probably like, I don't know, crack open your middle school yearbook and look some person up and probably find them on Instagram and see what they've done like 20 years later with their life. And in the same way that like, that's really interesting and cool, it's kind of strange and odd because those are people who were there for like a certain segment of your life. And now you're like bringing them into the future. And so it creates, I guess, like these unnecessary networks of the past. And I think that that's sort of related to like exes and stuff, right? I, um, I have friends, uh, did I talk about this one? Conflicted. Okay, I, I don't, I don't have any friends. This isn't a story of mine. This is just something I made up. Um, but I guess I know people who, ah, I just ruined it again. <laughs> there is the potential scenario, hypothetical, theoretical, where um, a person dated someone and then um, they break up, but they still have them on social media. And so they can still see them and they can kind of see how their life progresses. And in a way, it could be unhealthy, right? Because it almost creates that like competition of like, who's moving on first, who uh, won in the relationship, right? And then there's also like the added layer of like, if you're on the other end, and like someone that you're dating just got out of a relationship, um, then like, there's the concern of, I guess, like social media facilitating a friendship between the person that you're dating and their ex, right? Because we're also like, tied together maybe in a way that isn't necessary um so I don't know there's just all these like weird invisible networks of like connections with people and like you know in one sense it can make you feel less alone and it can you know make you feel more connected to the world but also in another it can be isolating because there's like that constant air of like comparison like oh I don't know, this person got really hot after third grade and now they're like an influencer and I'm just me, you know, or I don't know. Um, but yeah, it can be isolating just as much as it brings people together. Uh, I don't know, I feel like that kind of ventured off of our or initial topic of like just online dating and romance. Um, we're about at the 50 minute mark and I have office hours to go to. Um, and I haven't eaten my lunch yet, so I'm probably going to do that now. Um, but yeah, thank you everyone who tuned in to episode three of Mediatations. And um, I guess if you have suggestions for episode four, 
it doesn't have to be internet related. I don't know why this has become a trend. Um, but yeah, if you have any suggestions, let me know. I'm open to anything. Um, okay, yeah, Ari signing off.